Welcome to the Hospital Finance Podcast, your go-to source for information and insights that can help you stay ahead of the challenges impacting healthcare finance. And now, the host of the Hospital Finance Podcast, Michael Passanate. Hi, this is Mike Passanate, and welcome back to the award-winning Hospital Finance Podcast. On today's show, we're going to be diving into the revenue cycle, not only looking at the steps that are involved there, uh, but what's really changing and what's evolving and what might need to change at your facility to stay one step ahead. And joining me on the program to talk about this is Olga Barone Allen, who is the Senior Manager of Onboarding and Reporting here at Bessler. Olga, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Mike. Thank you again for uh, inviting me. So when you say the revenue cycle process, what, what do you mean when you think about that term? So the revenue cycle process is the pretty much a lifeline of a patient's experience at, at a facility, at a provider uh, facility. And uh, it really impacts the financial oversight and management of patient services. Not only does it tie into the financial viability, but it also the quality of the patient's uh, experience throughout the, the the beginning to the end and we can go into a little bit more detail as we go further into the process yeah a lot, lot to lot to unpack here so uh, the first thing that happens um, typically is that the provider is going to receive notice that some type of a service is needed and, and what what happens from there so and, and right now we're specifically speaking inpatient but the, Please keep in mind there are different types of services at a a facility, but for inpatient purposes, we'll use that as an example. Uh, A patient goes to a doctor and the doctor says, you know, you need surgery or some kind of procedure. So you're handed a script, the doctor calls in the service at the facility, and then the ball begins to roll. Got it. So let's talk about um, how that looks from the patient's perspective because uh, probably at that point they're going to be uh, encountering the scheduling system or, or a scheduler and of course there's some difficulties that can be encountered in that part of the process as well. That is correct and you know different facilities uh, use dif- different methodologies so um, you know the ideal facility would have a scheduling uh, department and what they would do is the, the, the physician would provide the schedulers a list of all the procedures that are being uh, scripted or written out to be performed and the schedulers would contact the patients and get all the information needed and starting with insurance information uh, address demographics and uh, so on and so forth so they start preparing the the visit and the charts to build on for the patient and then schedule the date for the procedure and of course, there's a lot that goes on there, and expectations are changing too. You know, people are looking for online scheduling, right? Not not just talking to a human. Uh, Absolutely, online scheduling is a big thing, and not all facilities do provide that. The other thing is, you know, now a lot of hospitals are um, stressed with the fact of collecting deductibles and copays up front before the services is even provided, depending on the insurance. So uh, after the scheduling is performed. Uh, it, it goes through another pre-certification with the insurance, depending on the insurance, and we can focus really on Medicare. But um, just for you know today's podcast, 
Um, so, you know, you have your deductible, your, you know, copay, so you know what the patient already has to prepare. Um, so you have to prepare the patient either to have a credit card, and that's very difficult, you know, uh, because the patient is at, at that point in time is a bit stressed about the whole procedure. Um, the patient may have a secondary insurance to Medicare. Patient may not have a secondary insurance. They may have to be screened for charity care or Medicaid. Uh, so a lot goes involved in the eligibility. So after being scheduled, uh, pre-certified, then the eligibility process begins also. So, and that's all in preparation for the upcoming procedure. So let's talk about that. We've, we've say we've successfully gotten the patient scheduled at this point, what what happens next in the revenue cycle? So usually what will happen is the patient will come in for pre-testing either 24 hours before or a couple of days before, and then the day of the procedure, they will come in through registration uh, or admission, and again, they are in, um, there are different schools of thought, but most facilities, uh, for the, they will ask for the demographics and the insurance information all over again, just to make sure that they have, especially with the MBI coming into effect, um, you know, this, the procedure could have been scheduled prior to uh, the MBI being released to the patient. So they need to get uh, a copy of the Medicare information. Uh, also, they need to verify that the service is a covered service by Medicare. And if it isn't, they need to get what's called an um, advanced beneficiary notice and have that signed by the patient. And that really is a non-covered service that the patient would have to pay out of pocket. And, and let's pause there because there are some other issues that can come up for Medicare patients, they could be Medicare Advantage, or they could, you know, there's other other flavors, right? Absolutely, there is, now there is more and more push with Medicare Advantage, you know, there was just an open enrollment, I believe it, it, it's uh, mid-January, open enrollment, uh, it, you know, is closed, and Medicare has been pushing more and more to, to have patients go with Medicare Advantage. So it depends if the hospital is a network, at a network, um, so if the procedure was scheduled prior to the Medicare managed care being, you know, effective, um, admission at that point would have to then go through the entire process of making sure that the the procedure is covered or not. Okay, and so now we move along to if it's an inpatient admission. Uh, utilization review. So tell us about that. So utilization and uh, management and case management, you know, although they seem that they're they're the same, one is a uh, retroactive uh, prevention of denials and one is a concurrent uh, prevention of denials. So while the patient is there, they, they make sure that the services that the patient is uh, receiving is um, it is covered. So what happens is they are in constant contact with the insurance company and, and with the and with the physician to make sure that as the uh, as services are being rendered, the insurance is up to date and that the the physician is communicating, you know, through them to the insurance all the services that are provided so that there's no surprises at the end uh, when the claim is built for and and the the service or the whole entire claim could be denied. Okay. 
And now we're, we're getting into that phase where it's popularly known as the mid-revenue cycle. And we've seen in our own research where um, providers you know, sort of freely say this is, this is a very vulnerable area. This is an area that can cause a material impact on our reimbursement. And in this, in this area, you're looking at charge capture, you're looking at coding. Tell us what's going on there, what can go wrong. So the patient is discharged, uh, hopefully health, you know, going home to heal. And behind the scenes, the machines are in motion. Uh, each department, the clinical department, each, you know, lab, uh, x-ray, uh, pharmacy is required to submit all their charges, uh, post their charges into the mainframe system. Or And, you know, usually, and again, everybody has a different school of thought, but for an inpatient, the, the best practice is to hold a claim for 10 days to allow all these various departments to be able to post their, their, their individual charge and to capture everything. You know, making sure the charge master is always current, uh, that the pricing is always current. Um, that, is th- that is a constant. That's, that's part of the revenue cycle in general, uh, a huge responsibility. So um, to make sure that all these charges are on the claim within the 10 days is, is uh, very tedious. Uh, you have to go through the charts, make sure that every single uh, Band-Aid, aspirin, lab work, um, pre-post um, procedure is, um, is posted to the account. If this isn't done and the bill is is you know, is not held up within the system, uh, what, could, what could happen is what we refer to as late charges. Late charges uh, could have a huge impact to the reimbursement. In certain cases, those late charges, it wouldn't matter because uh, an inpatient is assigned a DRG, so the calculation of that late charge um, wouldn't really make an impact on your final reimbursement. But there are times that a late charge could impact uh, the the DRG assignment um, and cause a, a financial loss to the facility. The other thing is the, a, what is referred to DNFB uh, discharge not final bill. If the claim is 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 on hold for either a code or a modifier, um, that becomes an age trial balance in itself. That DNFB can grow, the receivables could grow, um, you risk timely filing. So it's a whole um, record keeping of this hidden receivable, not hidden so much, but a receivable that has to be managed by um, the various departments, you know, HIM, um, you know, uh, lab, PFS, you know, patient financial services, uh, admission, anything that can be prevented, and usually hospitals that are are on top of that and run that type of an age trial balance, coordinate um, weekly meetings to discuss, you know, what is preventing that bill from dropping from the main system. Now, assuming we get the bill out the door, we're now we're posting the payment. So how should that work? So it's funny you say that, but. There is a step in between. So the DNFB is one process of uh, 
that claims being held up and that's in the mainframe once the bill does drop from the mainframe then it goes into what's called a billing scrubber and the billing scrubber which is the mechanism or the system that bills out to the providers um, could have its own um, unbilled uh, pockets and it, it's much more it's more related to the billing edits that the system mainframe does not have. So there are there could be condition codes that are needed. That wouldn't be so much in the mainframe. It would be in the billing scrubber. And, uh, you know, the patient financial services is mainly involved in that. Uh, and they are they have to monitor that on a daily basis and um, route those claims back to HIM or um, the lab or the pharmacy for J codes. So there's a lot of monitoring. And then the bill goes out. After all that is done, the bill goes out. Um, you know, if we're lucky, Medicaid, Medicare, they'll bill, pay quickly, but then you have, you know, the, the insurance plans that are much more in a delay process. You know, you would hope 15, 30 days. And then payments are received. Payments are usually received electronically, but there are times that they are um, they are not. They, you know, it's, some facilities still receive them by voucher, and then the cash posters are posting them manually. But if it's automated, they will receive the electronic, uh, you know, check with the detail and upload it into their mainframe system, and then post it against the the patient's account and it reconciles and then if there's a balance a partial payment you know those kick out to a follow-up and or if it, there's a denial those are routed to denial management and uh, so on so that was a quick spin around the revenue cycle um, and as we've we've gone through this you did note um, some best practices related to technology so I wanted to ask you to to share that uh, those recommendations with our audience so in my experience, uh, information technology, uh, IT, is the, the, the patient accounting's best friend. Uh, getting them involved in you know, patient financial services and working together with IT and automating a lot of the processes and also working with the departments, but um, mainly with IT to ensure that there are automated algorithms, that there are workflows within the mainframe that will create reports uh, based on reason and route them back to the, the responsible um, department so that they can clear up whatever's preventing a claim from uh, dropping. And sometimes there are also uh, limitations that the mainframe, you know, Epic or uh, Meditech is not uh, capable of handling. So those are, are um, what needs to be filled in with the billing scrubber. And IT is usually a big uh, support network in, in trying to get those codes um, translated into the billing scrubber. Excellent, Olga. Well, um, as good as hospitals have gotten their revenue cycle um, processes, uh, certainly none, none are perfect, I'm sure, and, and most would freely admit that to you. So uh, if you in, are in the provider community, 
uh, and you're interested in looking at things like underpayment recovery, whether that relate to DRG validation or transfer DRG or any number of other items along the revenue cycle, um, drop us a line at info at Bessler.com. We'd be happy to have that discussion with you. And if you'd like to uh, read a blog post that gets into even more depth around this topic, you can go to Bessler.com, uh, head up to the Insights tab and look for Revenue Cycle, and you'll see a blog post with associated content uh, around this particular topic. Olga, thanks so much for joining us again today on the show. Thank you, Mike. I really appreciate the opportunity. This concludes today's episode of the Hospital Finance Podcast. For show notes and additional resources to help you protect and enhance revenue at your hospital, visit Bessler.com forward slash podcasts. The Hospital Finance Podcast is a production of Bessler. Smart about revenue, tenacious about results.